Well, good morning. Welcome to South Park Church. My name is Kevin Akim, the director of creative and next gen here at South Park Church, and it is good to be with you. Well, it was a good week for some, it was a bad week for others, and it was tragic for many. And in these times, the best thing that we can do is get on our knees. So I just want to encourage you, you know, we as a, as a church have been praying at 109 every single day, and I just want to encourage you that maybe during this week and the next few weeks at 109, you kind of just need to shift those prayers to the families and the people that were impacted heavily by what happened in Parkland, Florida, and our hearts are with you, Parkland, and we just are praying with you here. Prayer is the most powerful thing we can do because we believe in the power of prayer. Amen, church? All right. Well, we are in a series, as Pastor Nancy shared, uh, we're reading through an abridged version of the Bible called The Story. So if you don't have your copy yet, head over to the Welcome Center and grab one of these. We want to make sure you guys are getting the full impact from this series and this year-long uh, series that we're doing. And within that, the last couple of weeks, we have been in this series called Back to the Start. And it's called Back to the Start because we've been going back to the foundational pieces of our faith, really looking at the first five books of the Bible. And so what we've learned is this main theme throughout this is that God created the world. He put us in it so that we could have a relationship with him. Now, over time, humans and people, we kind of messed this all up. And so God started over with the flood and he said, I'm not going to do that again. But he did raise up a guy named Abraham. And Abraham's family began to multiply, and the Israelites began to multiply after God had made a promise with them, but then the Egyptians enslaved them. And so God used Moses to free them, and then we've kind of learned last week, we studied about how they're in the desert, Moses goes up on a mountain, and he receives the Ten Commandments from God, and he receives promises, and then he brings it down and delivers it to the people. And here they are, the Israelites, are getting a little tired of this desert thing. They're waiting to arrive to the promised land. I sent you guys an email on Friday, and, you know, it's kind of like kids in the back seat. And they're asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they're getting a little impatient. Now, I've experienced some of these seasons in my life of wandering. When I was in college, I went to three different colleges, and I had five different majors. Now, that is a lot of time spending just wondering, God, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? God, what is it that I can do that I can use my skills and my talents to serve you to further the kingdom? God, what's my purpose? And it seemed like everybody else around me kind of had that very clearly defined for them. And I'm really wondering, God, where are you at in this? What am I supposed to be doing? It was painful, and it was long, and it was hard. And then I got into uh, my 20s, and I'm working, and it seems like everybody around me is kind of finding their life partners, and they're going on dates and getting married and starting their families, and I'm kind of looking around, and I'm wondering, God, how come this isn't happening for me? God, why can't I just meet the person that I'm going to be with forever? God, why haven't I gotten to meet her yet? And then my wife and I, Claire, uh, we're kind of in this season right now where everyone around us, it seems like, is having children. Claire's sisters, all three of them, are having children recently, and one's getting ready to have one next week, probably. And we're kind of looking at this, and we're like, okay, God, when is it going to be our turn? 
When is going to be the right season for this to happen for us? And it's painful and it's hard. And this is where we're at. I don't know if maybe, you know, you've experienced some, some wanderness or wilderness like this and wandering around. And, and what I've kind of learned is no matter what, these seasons happen and then you get through one and it kind of just leads to the next one. Like, I was looking for my purpose in college, and I'm waiting for that, and I'm trying to figure out what is my job and career going to be, and then that happens, and then I'm into the next one. I'm like, okay, God, I've got my career, I've got this, who am I going to be married to, you know, what's this going to work out? And then I meet my wife, Claire, and she's better than anything that I could ever dream of, and it's fantastic, and it's wonderful, and now we're in the next season of wilderness and wandering. I'm like, okay, when, when is this going to happen for us? And that's so appropriate and that's expected because earth is not our home. This is not where we belong. We've got eternity ahead of us that we were destined and created to be in relationship with God forever. So it's no wonder that we spend some time wondering. And this is where we find our Israelites this week. Maybe you've experienced some wondering. Maybe like me, you've are kind of looking, God, what's my purpose? God, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? God, how can I use my work to further the kingdom? God, what am I created to do? Maybe you're thinking, God, why am I so lonely? Maybe there's a missing relationship there that you so desperately want, and it's just not happening for you. Maybe you're wondering, God, why do my kids have so many hurdles and things that they have to climb over, these huge walls, these huge barriers, but it seems like everybody else's kid is getting into the school and the college that they want to, and they're not having any problems with school, and there's no really barriers that their kids have to deal with. God, why am I struggling to have children when it seems like everybody else is able to have full, healthy babies? God, why is this dream big project taking so long. Maybe you're just having some sort of fear or you're just worried about what the future looks like and you just don't know what's going to happen. See, what happens is I think is that when we get through these seasons of wandering and wilderness, what happens is this fear begins to embed itself into our hearts. And I think what that does is that causes us to lose focus because we have this pain happening inside of us that kind of causes everything else to kind of become a blur because this fear is starting to override and overcome us. Well, that's where we find the Israelites today in chapter 6 of the story. So if you brought your Bibles this morning, maybe you've got it on a device or an actual Bible, that's great. Go ahead and pull that out. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Numbers 13. It's at the beginning of the Bible. It's the fourth book. We're looking at Numbers chapter 13. Or if you actually brought your hard copy of the story, you can turn to page 74, and we're going to be on the bottom of that. Now, as you guys are kind of doing that, go ahead and do that now. As you guys are doing that, I'm going to kind of catch you up pretty quickly on what's kind of happening with the Israelites. So if we kind of pull back and rewind a little bit in Numbers 11, verse 4, it says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. I want you to pay attention to that word rabble, okay? Now, translated, that word rabble means riffraff. 
So if you were born in the 80s and you're a 90s kid like me, you recognize that term riffraff because of a hip-hop rap artist, whatever you want to call him. I think I've got a picture of that, Maylin, if we want to pull that up. This is riffraff, okay? And this is what I want you to think of when you see that term rabble and riffraff. It's this guy right here. Because what's happening is these are the people that followed the Israelites out of Egypt when Moses and the 10 plagues and all that's kind of happened. These people are kind of like, well, the train's leaving the station. Let's jump on this. This seems like a fun adventure to do. They're not there because they want to honor God and have a relationship with him. They're simply there because this seems kind of like a fun time. Now, these are kind of like the kind of people that want to show up to all the church social gatherings, but they don't really want to show up to the Bible studies. This is something that we can so easily become. We can so easily become the riffraff. In Exodus 12, 38, it says, a mixed multitude also went out among them with flocks and herds. It's like we see something kind of fun that's happening in the church or the Christian community or something. We say, oh, I, can, I want to add that to my checklist. And, and you're just kind of there. And see, what happens is we start attending church to make an appearance, not so that God can run an interference. We start serving and, and worshiping God because, man, that brings us a lot of, of attention. Not because we can be God's extension. And this negativity and this selfishness starts with a few people, and it starts to spread like a bad disease. And the rabbles start influencing Israelites and God's tribe. And you need to remember that this is happening because this is going to affect things later. Now, in Numbers 13, where we're going to be looking at today, starting with verse 1, we're going to see that Israel comes to a place where they must make a decision. They come to a crossroads. Are they going to enter into the promised land and be obedient to God and enter in, or are they going to not enter it and turn around and go the other direction? This is where their walking became wondering where their marching became meandering. This is where their witness becomes their wailing. Let's look at verse 1 here in Numbers 13. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So, at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Okay, so they kind of get to the edge of the promised land. This is going to be like if Charlotte was the promised land, they kind of arrive to Gastonia, okay? And so they say, well, let's go check out their, uh, the city. Let's go check out this promised land. Let's go kind of check out their breweries. Let's see what kind of, you know, uh, milk and honey is going to be flowing from them. Let's check out their NBA team. We know their football team's trash, so maybe the NBA team will make the playoffs. We'll see. Let's just kind of go and check this place out, right? And the plan is to send 12 spies into the land to investigate. Now, the important thing here is whose plan this is. It can kind of be a little bit confusing because we think, oh, well, God commanded them to go and do this. But in reality, the original language, it implies that God's giving them permission more than he's giving them a command. And we'll find this little backstory in Deuteronomy. So if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, we see it says, See, the Lord your God has given you the land. This is Moses talking to the Israelites. He says, Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. 
do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, well, let us send some men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. Moses says, you've come to this line in the sand. It's time to enter into the promised land. It's time to do it, right? God's delivered us to the diving board of fun into the deep end, and it's time to jump in and swim, and this is gonna be great. And the people said, well, you know, let's just kind of dip our toes in and kind of feel the temperature. Let's check the pH levels here. Notice the lack of trust. And Moses sees this fear that's embedding in them. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But still, they feel like they have to send these spies in. So that's what they do. They send the 12 spies in. And the spies go and they explore the land. And they see that it's filled with milk and honey. And everything's great. And they even come upon these grapes that are so big. I mean, they're huge. That it takes two guys to, to tie it onto a pole and carry it back. I mean, that is incredible. It's huge. And so after about 40 days, they go in and explore the land and they come back. And in Numbers 13, verses 26, they come back to give their report. Let's see what it says. It says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, say that with me, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. So the spies come back. They give their report. I mean, imagine the look on people's faces when they see those grapes, right? There's probably a little bit of excitement there, and they're trying to taste one of those grapes, maybe hurry up and make some wine and make some fun out of that. But it, and the people are like, it flows with milk and honey. This land is very provisional. Here's its fruit. Check it out. But look at verse 28. It says, but, and this big but implies they're about to back out of something. And they said, there's giants there. We can't take it. And this fear overrides them. And they went to go look for danger. That's what those spies did. They went to go look for danger, and they found it. They said, we can't conquer the land. There's giants there. There's no way we can do it. They're taller and stronger than us. Do you notice that none of that talks about God's provision and God's power? There's a huge lack of faith there. And they took their focus off the grapes and they put it onto the giants. And they could have seen the fruit and see, wow, God's promises are there, but they become distracted by their fear. Well, not everyone's on the same page. In fact, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, okay, whoa, 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 we can do this. Look at verse 30 with me. It says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Other, re other versions of the Bible are going to say, we can surely overcome it. There's nothing to be done but enter into the promised land. God's brought us here. Let's go in and take it. And they try to encourage the Israelites to remember, guys, think about what God's done for us so far. We can go and do that. But the fear of the ten had already spread like wildfire among the rabble and the Israelites. And it spread through the entire congregation. And they forgot about the miracles that God had done so far. I mean, how do you forget about walking through parted waters? How do you forget about that? 
See, I think in our own lives, we forget about the miracles that God has done in us. Why? Because we lack gratitude. We don't say thank you. Very few times do we start our day with praising God and thanking God for the things that he's already done in our lives. That's what happened to the Israelites. Think about it. They were complaining, God, we want meat to eat. We need meat to eat. And what did God do? He provided so much quail that it filled up to a foot above the ground in all directions. And it took them two days to collect it. Why? Because they had so much fear that God was not gonna take care of them for days to come that they felt like they needed to go and hoard everything that they could. Their fear overrid them. And this is equivalent of each guy going out and collecting over a pickup truck load full of quail for each of his family because they didn't trust. And the Israelites let their fear keep them from going into the promised land. They make the decision that they're not gonna go in, they can't overcome it, they can't do it because that fear had embedded them so powerfully and they totally lost focus. Now, as you sit here today, as you evaluate your life, what we've been calling it is the lower story, your each and every individual, your personal life, and you think about how does that fit into God's overarching upper story, God's plan for all of humanity, I want you to think about what are the giants in your life? What are you fearful of? Are you fearful about not finding a purpose and meaningful life? Maybe you're fearful about the bills that you can't pay. Man, this economy's looking pretty scary. Maybe you're a little fearful of putting your political opinions into God's hands. Maybe you're a little fearful because there's this relationship that's lacking that you want so desperately, but it's just not happening. It's a relationship that's just too difficult to fix. Maybe it's like me. Maybe it's just the fear of the unknown. You can't control it. I want to talk about how we deal with those fears. Here's the big idea for today. It says, use your faith to override your fear. Now, the word override means to use one's authority to reject or cancel. Now, fears are going to exist in real life. I mean, they're going to happen. But if you know where you're going and you know who's in control, you don't have to know how you're going to get there. Think of it like this. It's the four-year-old in the backseat of the car, and he's in his car seat. He's a little bit too short, so he can't see out the windows of the car, but man, he feels every turn that that car takes, and he feels every bump in the road. He, he might feel that maybe his, the driver stops for gas or, or maybe makes, has to make other pit stops, but the four-year-old knows that mom and dad or whoever's driving is gonna get them there safely. They're not worried about how because they know that what their destination is. See, fear is knowing you're gonna get there and not worrying about the details. And when fear comes up, you have to acknowledge it, but then you gotta hit the faith button. You know, it's like a basketball pass. If somebody were to, to toss me a basketball, that, that's kind of like our fear. You catch it, you acknowledge it, that it's there, you hold it, you squeeze it, you feel it. You feel the grooves 
in the basketball, you feel the lines, you look at its color, you smell the leather, and you hold on to that, but then your faith allows you to push it away and pass it back away from you. Now, I think that oftentimes we try to distract ourselves away from our fear with other things, whether that's, you know, a big purchase or something else. And guys, listen, I know this is South Park, but if you want to improve your life, you don't need a facelift. You need a faith lift. And here's what Jesus says about having that faith lift. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, yokes were pieces of farming equipment that farmers would use to allow their oxen to work together for a common purpose. And Jesus so brilliantly uses this example so the people listening in and us as well can see what he's talking about when it comes to this faith. I think we have a picture of this and what a yoke can look like. And there's these two ox that are working together. And what Jesus is trying to say is he said, you're trying to carry the load by yourself. And instead, what you need to do is come be yoked with me. You're trying to carry your fear by yourself. And in fact, if you come and and be yoked with me, you don't even have to carry your side because I'm going to give you rest and I'm going to do the work. And that's what faith is. Jesus says, come and be yoked with me. Go at my pace, go at my speed, at the direction that I am leading you. And what fear tries to do at best is fear tries to figure out how it can pull us away from that yoke and that relationship with Jesus. And what the enemy tries to do is he tries to use fear to get you to pull away and say, nope, you gotta go do things your own way. You gotta go your own direction at your own pace. See, the trouble is not often what we're carrying. The trouble is how we're carrying it. And Jesus says, come and be yoked with me. Don't let fear pull you away from me. I'm gonna give you rest. I'm gonna take care of you. But the Israelites, they let fear pull them away from God. And they started to go their own path. And they missed out on the fullness of God's promises for them. Here's the truth. When you let fear override your faith, your disobedience can destroy your destiny. Let me say that again. When you let fear override your faith, your disobedience can destroy your destiny. Here's what this looked like for the Israelites. Now, because the Israelites disobeyed God, they missed out on the fullness and the potential. See, in Genesis 15, 18, God declares to Abraham, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And God later confirms this promise to Abraham and his son, Isaac, and Isaac's son, Jacob, who later becomes Israel. And according to Genesis 15, in Joshua 1.4, the land that God gave Israel included everything from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River. This is from east to west and north to south. So what does this land look like? Now, the land that God has stated that belongs to Israel would be all of modern-day Israel currently, plus the land of the Palestinians, the West Bank and the Gaza, plus Egypt and Syria, plus all of Jordan, plus some of Saudi Arabia and 
Iraq. Now, I've got a picture for you. So at the beginning of the story, you'll see this map. And in the red right there, you see at the height of David and Solomon's control, this is the peak of Israel. This is the land that they had conquered and took possession of. Now, the green, let's show the picture of the green. This is the land that God had promised for them. Do you see the difference, church? God had promised over 300,000 square miles for the Israelites, and because of their fear, the maximum amount that they conquered was about 30,000. That's a tenth, a tenth of what they conquered. See, the legacy that they left because of their fear not only affected them, but their children and their children's children and generations to come. I wonder. Of all the promises that God makes for us, of all the thing God promised us to give us life to the full, how much of that are we actually allowed ourselves to experience because of our fear? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, in the river of God's experience, in the river of experiencing God, most Christians only get up ankle deep. Some get up to their knees, even fewer get up to their waist, but how precious are those that get up to the river of experiencing God where it is above their heads and below their feet for where they cannot touch. Church, God has so much more for you. Some of you guys are wondering why you're not experiencing more from life, and God has that for you, and God wants that for you, but you have to let your faith override that fear if you want to experience that. Now, the way that I look at faith is there's like three lines. Here's the first line. I believe in God and the gospel enough to believe it and enough to benefit from it. Now, crossing this line is easy. This is where the riffraff were. You know, this is when we realize, you know, who God is and what God has to offer us. We believe that the Bible's true, but we don't take time to study it and learn from it. You know, God might be the savior of our life, but he's not the Lord of our life. He doesn't determine how we act or how we behave. And man, we would love to see a miracle, but we don't really want to need the experience of needing a miracle. We, we just cross that line because we believe in God and the gospel enough to benefit from it. And we see this line ahead of us, but fear's keeping us. And so we just kind of stay right here. I think this is where the riffraff were. Now, the second line is this. Taking one more step out, it's, I believe in God enough to contribute comfortably. And God is the savior of our life and he's the Lord of our life in most areas. You know, we can tithe if it doesn't hurt and we may, you know, come to church if we've got time and study the Bible if we have time and, you know, we may talk to our friends about church and maybe invite them, but only if they bring it up first. And it's not fully entrusting God with every part of our life, just parts of it. And we see this line ahead of us in this section, and we say, and I don't have enough faith, or I've got a little bit too much fear to cross that, and this is where the Israelites were, and it costs them. And when we stay in this section, the enemy 
wins because we're not fully surrendering everything over to God. Now this third line, this next line, when we cross this line, we're saying, God, I give you my entire life. And this is where God calls us to be. This is what it means to be yoked with Jesus, to go at his pace, in his direction, in his timing, and in his way. And God's calling us to be here because this is where we experience the fullness and the rich life that God promises us. And we're saying, you know what? No matter what happens, God, I trust you and I put my faith in you, no matter what. And I'll do whatever you ask me to do, God. I want to challenge each of us to cross that third line today. Some of you need to cross the first line. Some of you have been in that second line for a long time now, and you are inches from crossing into that third zone and that third line in the sand. But you know what? If you're not willing to give up everything, it might as well be a mile. And my guess is, is that there's probably one thing that's keeping you from crossing that third line. I don't know what it is for you, but it probably has something to do with fear and something that you're not quite ready to let go of. God is calling us to experience so much more. What is it that you need to surrender? Is it the way you spend your money? Is it the way you spend your time? Is it the way that you're spending your life? Is it your career? Is it just the future that you just need to give up and say, God, this is yours. You can have it all. I mean, imagine what it would be like. Imagine what your life would be like if you crossed into that third line today. If you said, okay, God, enough is enough. I'm not gonna let my fear determine my outcomes and my circumstances. I'm gonna let that faith that he promises us and equips us to conquer. I'm going to let my faith override that fear, and I want to experience the fullness of you. How would your life be different today? What would your future be like? What's your life going to be like for your children? See, the Israelites, those children in that group, they had to experience years of pain and wandering because their parents didn't have enough faith. What kind of legacy do you want to leave in your family? It starts here. It starts now. Imagine if this entire church, imagine if this community, imagine if Charlotte said, okay, God, you can have it all. It's totally up to you. I'm gonna surrender my fears. I'm gonna pick up the faith and be yoked with you. Guys, let your faith override your fear and you will experience the fullness that God has for you. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. Father, and in the midst of this week, Father, a lot of us have a lot of fears about a lot of things. God, and we're trying to figure out exactly how to deal with those fears. God, some of our fears have to do with our lifestyle. Some of our fears have to do with our family. God, some of our fears have to do with safety. God, some of our fears have to deal with money. God, some of our fears have to do with politics. God, show us how to just turn that and hand that over to you. God, give us the power. God, give us the boldness 
to just surrender it to you and say, God, this is yours. It's all about you. God, give us the faith to just say, we're gonna live our lives according to you and let you truly be the Lord and the boss of our life. God, show us what it looks like to live a life full of faith that overrides the fears that pop up. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing at this time. I'm just gonna ask you to stand. And as we sing this song, as we enter into this moment, I want you to just imagine and put that fear that you have in the top of your mind and just hand it over to God and say, God, it's yours. I give it to you in this moment. And and what that might look like is that might require you to just hold out your hands and just say, God, this is yours. I give it to you. I'm gonna be yoked with you. I'm gonna go at your pace and your direction at your speed. And this is gonna be a symbolic gesture that you can make this morning and just hold out your hands and palms up and say, not only am I gonna let go of these fears that I have, but God, I'm gonna receive the faith that you promise us. What's the legacy that you wanna live? Do you wanna experience the fullness that God has for you? Let your faith override your fear. Let's sing the song.